Welcome to Too Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. That was one hell of a performance we put on this past Saturday, Robbie. What did you think about our Hokies? I'll give you a preview. It's about to come up here in my toast. <laughs> All right, give us that cheers. So that is a amazing game that we just played, and we blanked Boston College. I think equally as impressive given Boston College offense is not very good. To be able to do that against that defense, I still think they are very good. I think that'll play out through the rest of the year. Maybe not as good as I expected, but let's give a cheers to the team, the coaches. I thought everybody did a great job, obviously, by the score. And we see what Foster and Fuente together can do. It's super exciting. So cheers to the team for putting the work in, especially after Fuente said the week before they didn't put as much work in. They must have practiced hard for this one. So cheers. Cheers to that. I mean, I can't remember the last time we had such an impressive performance, probably since that Ohio State game. Uh, just a complete and total game from start to finish. Sure, BC made a lot of mistakes, but let me run through the game, and then we'll go through our observations. It was a really nice start. We got an early fumble, and Trayvon scored on a swing pass, and that became a theme later as the game progressed. Again in the first quarter, there was a beautiful TD pass to Ford. We went up 14 nothing. In the second quarter, Boston College clamped down a little bit for a while, but after a nice return from Stroman, we scored on the very next play another TD pass to Isaiah Ford, this time into double coverage, and all he does is make spectacular catches in the end zone, 21-0. In the third quarter, BC started with a three and out. We scored on our next drive, six plays, 77 yards, another swing pass, this time to Chris Cunningham, our tight end. BC had another three and out. We scored again on another swing pass out in the flat to Sam Rogers this time, 35-0. We added one more TD in the third to Trayvon on a run, 42-0. And then Motley came in in the fourth, and we pretty much just kept it on the ground. He added one more touchdown with a nice run, and all the backups came in after that. 49-0 was the final score. Uh, Just amazing seven offensive touchdowns. I looked up the last time we scored seven touchdowns. It actually wasn't that long ago. It was against Tulsa, but one was a punt return. The last time we scored seven offensive touchdowns was against Appalachian State in 2011, and we had eight offensive touchdowns in that game, and we scored 66 points. That was quite a while ago. Just a really good offensive performance and an even better defensive performance. Robbie, what were your your takeaways uh, as far as the Hokies went? They did everything they needed to do. Number one was protecting the football. They absolutely did it. One interception, I think it was on Isaiah Ford, even more than Evans. We can get into that a little bit more, but that's what they needed to do coming into this game. That's what they didn't do in their previous two games before that, and it was one of our keys. It was a key from the coaches. It wasn't a surprise to anybody that this offense can really get humming if they they were able to do that. Everybody played their assignment so well, from the, from the defensive line filling gaps, the offensive line getting a nice push, Wyatt Teller getting pancakes on people. I thought everybody did such an outstanding job in this game and was really mentally strong. 
and I'll tie that back to some thoughts towards the end of this game and also tie it into ECU, but that was the key. We had the momentum, and we stuck with it. And I won't get into the details now. We can talk about it later. But the momentum was on our side, and it gave everybody on the team the confidence to play the way they can. And the way this team can perform is super exciting when it's operating at, a, at a, you know, humming on all levels. Much like we did against Tennessee, BC continually shot themselves in the foot in this game. They had early penalties, including a TD called back on a kick return. And that was just a theme of things to come. 12 penalties in the game for Boston College. Lots of drops, including a short touchdown pass. They just killed themselves. And at the same time, you know, we had a, something very much so to do with that. And they could have scored some points, but when your defense shuts a team out, no matter how it happens, that is extremely impressive. And you hit it right at the beginning. The one turnover, which was pretty much just a dropped ball by Isaiah Ford, which is so uncommon. We needed to take care of the football. No fumbles in the game. That was really, really nice to see. We only let up six first downs to Boston College. They had 1.6 yards per rush, and it was really a team effort on defense. Tolls was 9 of 28 for 80 yards. That is absolutely terrible. And just an awful return for Scott Leffler. Zero points. Now, his guys didn't execute, but, you know, when he was here, for some reason, the players had a hard time executing, too. It just seems to be a theme that follows him. I couldn't have been happier at the end of this game. 49 to nothing. That is, I don't care who the opponent is, but it was an ACC opponent with a good defense, and we scored seven offensive touchdowns and gave up zero points. Just awesome. Well, let's kick it off on some players that had outstanding games. Gerard Evans he now has 10 passing touchdowns. That leads the ACC. Granted, Lamar Jackson's been doing a lot of his damage on the ground. So otherwise, that would you know he probably wouldn't be leading in that category. I think we all know how good Jackson is. His floater to Isaiah Ford was it was dangerous, but right on target. That's the thing. It's a dangerous pass, but he put it in the perfect place. And Ford is just exceptional. His completion percentage is now approaching 70%. He's at 67.5 with one interception, and that was on Ford, not Evans. So really, he has 10 passing touchdowns, and in my mind, I'm not adjusting or anything like that, zero interceptions, which is eerily similar to what he did in JUCO. When yeah. he, I mean, that's I. That's the one statistic I thought was going to change for somebody coming out of JUCO was he was going to come to this level. Granted, the secondaries that we've been playing have not been super difficult, but I thought he was going to have more picks coming in after his stats at at JUCO. You know, and comparing those, I don't know, man. This Boston College secondary was supposed to be good, and the Tennessee secondary with Cam Sutton and friends was good as well. So will this just get better? I don't know. I mean, we'll talk about ECU in a little bit, but Evans was so impressive. Five touchdowns. Last time that happened, Brian Randall, 2002 against Syracuse. I remember I watched some of that game at West End because I was still in school, and Randall needed two overtimes to do it. Evans did it in three quarters. Incredible. That is unbelievable. (laughs) He's number nine in the country in QBR. Again, the metric that ESPN puts out, that's not quarterback rating, that's QBR, which I think is more of an advanced stat, takes into account a few more things, including running the ball 
and your ability to adjust in certain situations. And so he is ninth in the country in QBR. I mean, a company he's keeping, including our Lamar Jackson, who you mentioned, Mitch Trubisky, a few other guys, uh, it's impressive as hell. And it doesn't seem to matter the step up in competition. He is doing really, really well. And hopefully it continues as the season goes on. Another really interesting thing about this game was the return of Marshawn Williams. He, The announcer said during the game he was facing an academic issue or something that was predated Fuente. And he's back after that two-game suspension. 81 yards, 5.4 yards per carry. A lot of it was later in the game. We ran Trayvon a lot earlier, and he, I still think he's our lead back. But with the news that we just got about McLeese being out for the year, which was something that happened kind of in passing right before the game. He was just listed as out. Uh, it's nice to have another body back there and a big, powerful body in Marshawn Williams. I get it. It was late in the game. Some might even say a little bit of that. It wasn't garbage time, but it was garbage time in the sense that the BC defense was so worn down at that yeah. point. But he looked good, right? He was still getting speed on the outside. He was still getting up the sideline on a lot of those pretty quickly. He looked like he was running on, uh, you know, on really sure feet. I guess is the best way to put it. It gave me a lot of confidence now that we have him, especially just like you said with McLeese out. I feel good again with him coming back in and showing that he can run the ball, and it still showed some power behind it. Yeah, I mean, both him and Shy coming off those uh, 2014 knee injuries, both look fully healthy now. And we even saw Trayvon in that game take a shot and had to leave the game for a little while. Uh, he finished with a rushing touchdown and a receiving tr- touchdown, uh, referring to McMillan. But you can you can lose that running back depth so quickly, <laughs> as evidenced by you know a guy takes a shot, he's out. McLeese is all of a sudden out. It you, it pays to have guys who can come in and get eighty yards in in a few, couple quarters in, in Marshawn Williams. So that is awesome. Uh, really great for our depth. And I had a couple of miscellaneous things. Uh, Settle and Ricky Walker seemed to play a lot early in this game. And being the younger guys on the defensive line, I thought that was an interesting thing to note. And kind of a funny thing that Settle was wearing that 25, yep. his his big uh, his big stomach kind of hanging out of it a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but he played – I liked what I saw from Settle. He was getting in the backfield, and uh, he didn't register – too many stats, but you know he's going to have a bright future here for sure, and that's what we've all been hoping for. I absolutely agree on, on that side of the ball. I thought they, I thought they look fantastic. Motapuaka is up to twenty nine solo tackles. He's got nine more than even Chuck Clark. He had that tip ball in the second half. He's been in the in the history of this program while he's been here. Has gotten a ton of heat. He's starting to look. It's starting to look pretty good, and it's starting yeah. to really come together, which is what we expected or hoped, I should say, better this year. And it's starting to come together. Adonis Alexander looked good, uh, had that nice interception. And Chuck Clark obviously putting his head on the ball early on in the game really set the tone, I think, for the defense. I think he's a leader on that defense, and seeing him get out there and get after it and it was Moto that ended up catching the ball at midair. I thought that was a fantastic play. And above all on the defense, and there was a lot of outstanding defensive play, Faison was all over people all night. I, it was His coverage was 
it wasn't perfect, but it was it was pretty on point, I think, throughout that game. And he had a lot of breakups that that very well could have caused some damage for us. Absolutely. Faison looked good. He looked like his old self again. And we got to mention our boy, Tremaine Edmonds, maybe the MVP of the game. He had seven tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, and he affected a lot of plays, even plays where he wasn't making the tackle. He was the reason someone else made the tackle. And that is someone that we knew his trajectory was going uh, in terms of a star on this defense, and he seems to be fulfilling that that prediction. Let's, I guess, nitpick a little bit. <laughs> can I hit? Can I hit two other quick points on it? Um, oh yeah, bring on! I want to hear more positives. Yes, po- more positives. No, <laughs> but I'm not going to hit Isaiah. We know he's a rock star. I think that Rogers, we have him playing in the perfect way in this offensive scheme. And it looks really good on those swing passes. That is where he's been so effective for us in the past. In the past, and it, it looks really, really good. And the diversity of the offense is downright frightening. The speed option is scary. I we had some questions on the option early on. I think they've gotten settled in, and that looks really, really quick. And then. You know, we went up to play UT, and we have Hodges running out of the backfield, and now we have him as a legit receiver, one week removed from each other. The diversity of what Fuente can do with this offense is starting to come to light, and I'm downright excited about it if we can keep this momentum. It is awesome. And it's funny, you say, like, we're doing all these different things, and three of our touchdowns came on very similar plays, as I mentioned, those kind of passes out in the flat or a swing pass or whatever you want to call it, guys coming out of the backfield. But they all had a kind of a different twist. They were three different players that they utilized. It was just really cool to see that. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do the same thing to you, but we're going to do it in a different way, and you're not going to know that it's coming yet again. And it was awesome. I agree. Nice. And this is against a good linebacking core and front seven in this Boston College defense. Now, yeah, they were getting worn down, like you said, but – I, this is this was a good defense to throw up this many points on. They just could not get any help from their offense, and that was largely due to us, but also somewhat due to them. So let's just let's do a couple of things, you know, as terms of the negatives. I'll start. We're still not getting consistently uh, large holes in the run game. And that might be a reflection of the three defenses we've played. All three defenses, including Liberty, have had very strong front sevens and linebacker play. And I think they want to shut down our run to see what Gerard has. And he's been he's been sticking it to people. Um, Bucky had another drop, which I think would have been a touchdown. The blocking, whether it's McMillan or Cam, guys still getting familiar with the scheme and and comfortable with the contact and of Fuente's offense that you're going to have to block your ass off but that's something that still needs to come along but I'm re- like I said I'm really looking for things to pick on me as well I'd like us to be we did it later on in watching the film review again I didn't know on the fourth and ones in a game like that I'd like to see us be aggressive every once in a while. We did later on in the game, but it was over at that point in the third quarter. I'd like us to take some chances early on, and maybe Fuente just needs to get more comfortable with this offense. I haven't studied Fuente's scheme in the past to know enough of if he does, doesn't go for it in the first half on fourth and one. Phillips, Cam Phillips missed block. I don't know if he's trying to work his way to the bench, but <laughs> that's probably as close as you can get 
and I don't want to see him there. I think he can do be really dynamic in this offense, but that was case in point, and I tweeted it out after it happened. If he wants to work his way to the bench, missing that block and almost you know causing an injury to one of your star running backs is not the way to go. That was trash, the way that that played out. And he did respond well, though, right? Mm-hmm. With the couple play, the couple plays after that, when he he Fuente said that he he stuck him on the bench for a little while, but he made he responded well later in the game. I'd say. And that's what I wanted to see happen. I wanted to. I thought it turned into. I'm glad, you know, nobody got hurt, but I'm glad it provided evidence of what it does in Fuente's system if you don't block correctly. I thought it ended up the end result was the right one, which was the evidence for Fuente to say this is why you need to block well. And the last, and it's not a negative, I think it actually is a little bit of both, is we only have three sacks on the year. I think, and it ties back to our frustration from last year, which is we weren't getting sacks, and our defensive ends kept overrunning, and they would always end up behind the quarterback somehow and, you know, miss the tackle. I think we're we're containing a lot better. I think that's why we're stopping the run better. So it's a negative and a positive. I don't think we should be judging this team by sacks the way that they're playing defense right now because they're covering the gaps the right way. They're stopping the run, which in me is priority number one, even and above your sack total for the year, which we always like to tout. And we have to consider the opposition. We've played three straight teams that don't drop back to pass in the traditional sense very much at all. And maybe, you know, BC, I would have expected a a couple of sacks. We didn't end up with any, I don't think. Uh, But Dobbs, Jalen Hurd, Kamara, we know what they do on the ground. And they're going to run the football first. Liberty, they got a guy who was first-time starter as a quarterback. Like, they were, like, trying to do read option and stuff. They weren't airing it out. And same thing with BC. I mean, they were going to try to run the football. And so – the sack total is a reflection of what Bud has done, and that's keep guys in front of us, and, and it's worked, like you said. But it's also a reflection of who we played, and that's going to change with ECU because we're going to see some some <laughs> some drop-back passes, that's for sure. The, things are going to change in a hurry in terms of our opposition and, and what those offenses are going to do over our next three games with ECU, uh, UNC, and Syracuse. Before we move on to ECU, do you have any more thoughts on BC or should we go to a beer break? No, I think we can go to a beer break because I'm going to tie my biggest comment of this game into what I said during UT and what I think is important for ECU, which is the emotion level of this team when things are going well and when things are not going well. And I think it's important to keep in mind because – You see what happens when things are going well for this team, and we saw it on Saturday. The question becomes, what happens if there's a couple, you know, fits and starts on something where you you do lay down a fumble, which Fuente doesn't want to see happen? And I think that's important for ECU. Okay. I will start with the beer break this time. And I am drinking the Dogfish Head 120-minute IPA. And if you haven't had the 120 minute, which most people probably haven't, it is an extremely powerful Imperial IPA. It is 18% alcohol. And I figured we beat BC, we kicked their butt, you know, now 
I got to celebrate with a really nice beer. The 120-minute IPA, is it's not a cheap beer by any stretch, but at some point, if you're a beer lover and a hops lover, you got to try it. And my cousin told me – after I, I bought it, I was told him I was going to drink it on the podcast. He was like, it's like drinking a loaf of bread, and he's not that far off. It is, it is a, a thick-feeling beer, if you will, and despite the high alcohol content, it still tastes really good. It's essentially – you know, you talk about double IPA. It's essentially a quadruple IPA, and it's still really, really good. Uh, the Dogfish Head 120-minute IPA. I'm enjoying it. That is a fantastic beer, and I advise nobody that listens to this podcast to drink more than one or two of those, <laughs> <laughs> or you will be hurting. I'm drinking the – I guess it's – I've never had it. You said you knew it. The Unita, I guess it is, if you pronounce it right, Hopnosh IPA. It's out of Salt Lake City, Utah. And I had this probably five or six years ago. It was pretty good. It's 7.3%. I didn't like it as much then. It's pretty good now. It's a little bit milder IPA. I actually like it a, a decent amount. I would probably have this again if you don't want something too hoppy. I like it. Nice. All right. Well, let's let's get into ECU. This is a team that, Robbie, you know how much I hate playing this team. Uh, even last year when we were recording game songs before the games. What's the interest in playing ECU? They have a good laugh if we don't do what we're supposed to do. For them, beating us makes their season. And we could care less, so why play can be one good reason. The theme of the song is why are like essentially why do we even play ECU? Because there's no benefit for us. It's all upside for them. And no upside for us. If you beat them, nobody cares. And if you lose to them, you look foolish. But they're on our schedule, so we got to talk about them. We've lost to them the last two years in a row in much different ways. We got down 21 nothing two years ago. We went up 14 nothing last year, lost both. And this year, ECU was 2-1. They beat in West Car- Western Carolina and NC State. And their only loss was last week to South Carolina in a game that they really should have won. They were 5-7 and seven last year, and after going 3-5 and five in the AAC, they fired Ruffin McNeil, which was a source of controversy. But they hired Scotty Montgomery, which I thought was a really, really good hire, and I know you did too. They returned 75% of their lettermen and are 46th in Bill Connolly's experience rank in terms of the production they were bringing back coming into the year. And starting out the year, Athlon Sports put them at 94th in their ranks of the 128 teams. And that was the lowest, or I should say the worst, ranking of any team on our schedule, even lower than UVA, which came in at 72, which I found surprising considering the product that ECU has put on the field the last few years. They still have doubters that they've won six games against ACC opponents in a row which coming from their conference is a feat in of itself. To make that happen, two of those are against us, which is frustrating. They are humming at a pretty high level. They obviously had the coaching change. Most people don't understand why they had the coaching change. I don't really. But then they ended up bringing in somebody that could even, uh, I guess the best way to put it, make this offense even more dynamic in some respects. 
I I think this game is going to be tough, but let's start with what just happened because most people are going to look back to the SEC game, which was absolutely outrageous and very much parallels what happened in the VTUT game in game two. The, the stat line does not reflect what ended up happening here, which ECU broke, broke down South Carolina in almost every category. First downs. I'm not even going to go into the numbers. They're 519 yards to 312, 400 passing yards to 195, 119 rushing to 117, and time of possession was 38 minutes to 21. This was solely a turnover game because of four fumbles, and three of which happened to ECU in the end zone, and ECU won this game. I don't care what the score is. It's over. ECU won this game, and probably by two touchdowns in my mind. I've never seen a more confusing box score. Even our game against Tennessee wasn't as confusing as this one. ECU had 34 first downs. South Carolina had 13. 34 to 13 in first downs, and they lost 15 to 20. It, it's truly bizarre. Um, it, let's talk about them on the macro sense because they should have won the game, but they turned the ball over twice in the end zone, I believe. And stat correction on that one. I got too excited because I was so crazy over this. Two fumbles and two interceptions, and the interceptions were at the goal line. So yeah, sorry, I, I had I said four fumbles. Well, the thing that's a, they got going on this offense is the quarterback Philip Nelson. Now he transferred in from Minnesota, and at Minnesota, his numbers were pretty pedestrian in terms of a passer. He actually could run a little bit at Minnesota with a ninety-three attempts and four yards per carry in his last season, six touchdowns on the ground. He hasn't really run at all so far this year, and he is just passing the crap out of the ball. I don't know if that's Scotty Montgomery's tutelage or what, but he has more completions through three games this year than he did in either of his two years at Minnesota, and 1,100 yards, 8.2 yards uh, average per completion, and seven touchdowns and three picks. 161 rating, 73 QBR. These are good numbers. I mean, he's a top 25 quarterback in terms of the QBR. Now, five of his touchdowns came against Western Carolina. So, you know, you got to take into account that. But he played NC State and South Carolina, two power five teams, and his numbers are still such. I mean, 80% nearly on his completion percentage. I was about to say that. he 79% on completion. That is outrageous. Now, I do think they're swinging it out like short passes and stuff, but it's, it's still something. I, and on his track record, I never would have seen this coming. I did not think we'd have to worry about a really good quarterback on terms of the passing game against ECU. Last year, we had to worry about James Summers who had 110 passing yards and 169 rushing yards against us and three total touchdowns. But I didn't think we'd again see kind of like this this double whammy. Like they're going to be able to pass the ball, and with the weapons they have at wide receiver, they could really be dangerous. Absolutely. And guess who's back? <laughs> Just like we said, James Summers. He's second on carries, twenty-seven for two hundred and seven yards. We mentioned Anthony Scott. He's got thirty-two for two hundred and nine yards. Summers that obliterated us last year and made me want to pull my hair out is really productive with the ball this year and really quite frightening if we don't contain him. 
Both have 2D, two touchdowns. Anthony Scott, they're using, it seems like a little bit on the screen game. I haven't gone back and watched all of their games. I don't know if you have. Um, but he he's pretty productive this year. And you have Zay, Zay Jones. I guess it's Zaire Zay Jones. Z-A-Y Jones. Zay Jones is what I'm, I'm thinking. And, and what he did against South Carolina was ridiculous. It's incredible. And that was the one player that we highlighted and now it seems for good reason in our research on this team in our preview. That on the offensive side of the balls, we didn't even talk about Nelson. We talked about Summers a little bit because it was relevant. Scott wasn't even sure that he was going to be in contention. They had a exactly. couple of different people playing. Jones is the one person that we said that we had to be worried about. And he needs he needs some Brandon treatment. With Faison is going to have a long day trying to guard Zay Jones. Zay Jones just went off for 22 receptions against South Carolina. That's a pretty good defense, too. 22 receptions, which is one away from the NCAA record. 190 yards. He's got 39 receptions on the year. Their other receiver, Quay Johnson, he's at 23 receptions. He's got a touchdown, 164 yards. Anthony Scott, you, you were saying, you know, he's he's got a nice average six and six point five yards per carry, two rushing touchdowns, but seventeen receptions and three passing touchdowns. They like to use him out of the backfield in the red zone, and he has been effective. Only five nine two oh nine, not a bruising guy, but a you know a thick running back who can do some things. And James Summers, now he played quarterback and was coming out of and out of the uh, you know behind center last year. He's kind of been more of a running back. They've been using him in like the wildcat role this year. He's only thrown one pass. So I wouldn't expect necessarily that he'll be throwing a lot of passes in this game, but he will be a factor. He's going to be carrying the football and there will be the threat of the pass, which that alone can be a problem for us. Their offensive line has allowed over nine tackles for loss so far this year. So that's a, that's a point of, that's a weakness for them. That's 125th nationally. They only have five sacks. So there's 23 plays through the first three games that have gone for negative yardage that weren't sacks. So they are susceptible to guys getting in their backfield. I like what I see there. I think that our defensive line can definitely get that TFL number high in this game. But the weapons they have, it's a little bit scary. And Zay Jones, you know he's going to get his catches. I mean, he had 22 last game. He's probably good for 10 in this game, regardless of who's guarding him. And I'm, I'm worried that they're going to throw up some points against against us, even with how well our defense has been playing, because our defense hasn't been tested against a true passing team yet. And I'm most worried about Scotty Montgomery going back and looking at last year's film with James Summers and seeing our susceptibility. I think we've on, improved on it, but I don't know what kind of scheme they're going to throw at us, but I guarantee you it's going to be unique and it's going to use him in the run game lined up in a way that can give them some versatility on offense. And that frightens me a lot, not just a little bit, <laughs> a fair amount seeing what James Sunder, Summers did to us last year. And I think Bud can come up with a scheme this year with the talent that he has to make it work. But this team's going to score points. I don't know how many this at this point. I haven't I haven't been that confident, but I think it's going to be 
a decent amount of points that they're going to put up. This is not going to be a BC game at all. We're going to have to make sure the offense is humming on our side. The one thing we do have going for us is because of last year, Summers isn't going to come out of nowhere. We we know what happened to us last year, and la- I wasn't expecting that at all last year. I don't think we – when we did our preview, we mentioned him, but I don't think it was something that we had focused on at all as, as being a problem. And all of a sudden, he played about half the snaps at quarterback and was tearing us up. They lack the big play this year on offense. Most of their plays only go the, – the big ones only go about 30 yards. They don't They don't have a whole lot of – they don't have any, I don't think, 50-yard plays and not many that have gone over 40. They're kind of a possession offense, the short passes, getting yards, getting first downs, and that's something I think that Bud can defend well. Uh, it's the bigger plays that have always been our Achilles heel, and I'm not sure that we're going to see too many of them, so that's some good news. Do you want to switch over to the defense real quick? Yeah, and I don't have a lot on their defense, quite honestly. I think that could be our key to victory in this game is they, the the defensive stats for this team are not nearly on the level of what they've been able to do on the O side of the ball. And I have some players that I'm a little bit shaky or worried about that I think could cause some havoc for us. But overall, at least in what they've shown in the first three games, I feel better on this side of the ball and what we could do on the offense. Yeah, they're giving up uh, but 378 yards per game, and it's only three games. and So I'm not even sure the total stats are really worth looking at. But this secondary that they have is top-notch. It is probably the best in the AAC, if not the best. Uh, and that combo of Deshaun Amos and Corey Surgeon at CB is certainly the best. Their safeties, Terrell Richardson and Trevon Simmons, are both returning starters. They've got a very, very strong back end. It's their front seven that's a little bit weaker, and particularly their defensive line. They only have one sack this year, and they're 97th in the country in tackles for loss. Their defensive tackle, McGill, is really the only solid player. Presley was supposed to be good, but hasn't made too much of an impression so far this year. And... As far as their linebackers go, Jordan Williams is a great player. I mean, he six uh, over six tackles a game, and Giannis Bowden, the spring standout, is still proving himself, but he has three and a half tackles for loss, and the only sack was by another linebacker by the name of Dayon Pratt. But this front seven is going to be susceptible, I think, particularly on the ground. The 3-4, you know, that's what ECU has always run, and they're still running it, but I think that there will be some holes – uh, on the inside and via the read option that they'll be susceptible. Or the speed, uh, the speed, that lines up perfectly for the speed option, right? So I think our offensive strength in a lot of ways plays into that because we have had some deep balls, but they our most impressive drives to me that have happened this season is when we're getting it outside a bit and we're forcing – the front seven, or if the secondary comes up, obviously. But we're, we're confusing offenses, and we're playing schemes that are a little bit different but look the same. If, if their front seven's not on point, and then you can bring it back into the middle and go up the gut and shake it back outside, which Fuente just keeps moving the ball and where the point of attack is, 
and it frustrates the linebackers because they don't know what direction. If you look no further than the BC game, I think they were going to pull their hair out. And those are two terrific linebackers for BC. They don't know where it's going. They don't know if it's an option. They think it's an option, but it ends up being just a pass into the flat. I thought they were... I thought one of them, was, their head was going to explode. So that could be beneficial for us. But you're right. What I had flagged was their secondary. So, you know, what we saw, and I don't think we were going to see it again for a little bit, but that that pass to Ford over the center is probably not going to happen this week. Or if it does, it's going to have to be Ford going up and getting the ball. And it shouldn't be intended to go that way because we can do more damage, I think, on the ground, short passes, out passes, into the flat, than we can do going deep against this this secondary. Yeah, I think I think you you nailed it right there. And it's funny you say that about the BC linebackers. I mentioned in our last pod, Connor Strahan came in with six and a half tackles for loss, which led the country. He didn't have a single one against us last week, so that's just worth noting. But yeah, I I completely agree in terms of what we're going to do offensively. I think this defense is susceptible, but I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of passes down the field. Um, Then again, Ford gets open on anybody, and Evans has been getting better and better at those touch passes. So we could see some decent gains, that 30 to 35-yard pass. I wouldn't expect any too many bombs. That's something Evans still has not shown a great propensity for in, in completing. But... They should have beat USC, um, and, and I mean, ECU should have beat South Carolina. The turnovers killed them. They're going to be the best passing team we face by far, and they've got the running weapons in both Summers, but also Philip Nelson. I mean, he can run. It hasn't hasn't really come to pass yet. He's you know got negative two yards on the year so far because of the sacks, but. He can run, and he's shown it in his two years at Minnesota, so that's something to watch out for. We should be able to move the ball on the ground this game. And French said that, this is something he pointed out to us earlier today, that against South Carolina, South Carolina was moving the ball via the read option really well against ECU's defense before McIlwain got banged up. And that's exactly what I was expecting to happen for our offense against them. Yeah, I 100% agree, and sounds like we're heading to key to the game. Is is that the direction I'm, yes, I'm thinking? Yes, I kind of I kind of started early there, but yes, that's where we're going. No, I agree. It's it's the right place to go. It's it's a weird. This is a very weird game, and I I don't want to get all uh, I don't know spacey on it, but there's there's two things that could happen in this game, and we talked about this a little bit, and it becomes a mental resolve game. A lot of people have said this is a new regime and we're going into this game forgetting about what's happened in the past. But the fact is is that our offense and key playmakers in our offense were part of those games that turned into disasters, for lack of a better phrase, when we shouldn't win. And to your point, we would not get much credit for winning and we get all the downside if we lose. We have to go into this game and this will test the ability for... Fuente, which obviously it didn't work against UT because he said that the troops weren't practicing as hard. We didn't practice as hard as we should have. He called them out for it. The players weren't really on point like they should have been. 
this is the time that we understand what Fuente can do by teaching the the guys on the team what it means to practice hard and get ready for a game that you should not lose. This is a game that we absolutely can win and on paper after seeing what happened in BC should win. The problem that comes into play is when you get out there and something goes wrong. And to my point earlier in the podcast, I think this is a team, especially with Gerard Evans, and he's admitted it himself, he's an emotional player, and I've said it before, that flies really, really high when things are going well and sinks down into the dirt a bit when things aren't going so well. And that starts and stops with only two people. That's Fuente and Gerard Evans. And Gerard Evans is the one that's most emotional on the team about those sort of things. So there are going to be problems in this game. There is no way that you have type of game against BC, at least statistically, and then have that same type of game against ECU, even though I would love for that to happen. This is the game where we find out whether we are mentally tough or not. And this is something that you and I have talked about a little bit. This is the game that I think is a win-win for Virginia Tech. And that's going to sound absolutely asinine. But in the scenario that we win, we're all happy. We're moving on. We squeak by ECU. If we lose, this is a, this is a coaching moment for Fuente to figure out what he has to do to set this program on the right path to get them over hurdles in the future, which we're going to have a lot of them if we keep Fuente as long as we all want to keep him. And it's going to teach the team a way to come together and get past it with their new coach. I think, I know you're not going to agree with this, and I think not many people are going to agree with this, but even a loss here is a win for the future of the program not for this season. And those are two completely different things because I'm taking a much longer-term approach to this. I'm hoping we keep Fuente for a, a long time. It's a benefit to the program to figure out and give him something just like what happened with that block that almost knocked out a running back in the backfield and somebody sits on the bench and then all of a sudden Cam Phillips comes out with resolve and has a great game. You need those teachable moments, and if you don't have them, you're setting yourself off on the right on the wrong foot, which is what happened with Teller in the first two games when he sat and then he started last game. We all knew he was going to end up starting. It's teachable moments in the beginning part of a program that you're trying to reestablish as a dominant force that can be important. I guess I'm of the opinion that we've had enough teachable moments. I, I would say that five fumbles versus Tennessee, that's enough for me. I'd say that all the missed blocks for Liberty, that's enough for me. And I don't want to lose to East Carolina three years in a row. And if we lose again, uh, no, this isn't a win. This isn't good. Th- this is a time when the team can get over a hump they've been wanting to get over and that a young, youthful coach inspiring the team, motivating the team properly should be able to win, especially when the talent disparity is what it is. ECU has a lot of athletes. Don't get me wrong. They're they're a good team. And if Houston wasn't so goddamn good, I would think that ECU might win the AAC this year. But we should win this game, and if Fuente doesn't win the game, I don't see it as a positive whatsoever. I see it – yes, I see it as a teaching moment. So, yes, you can make it a positive down the road, but no. I, I, I disagree. Uh, 
I think that Fuente, based on what's already happened this year, he has had time. It's a quarter of the way through the season. I know it's three games, but we're 25% through this season. Teaching moments have happened, and it's time to beat the freaking team from the AAC. That's what it's time to do. Is this the only game, and argue with me on this one, since this is probably the most disagreements we've ever had in this podcast, this is the only game that we can afford to lose this season and not have it impact the fan base. And think through the rest of the games in the season. Because Syracuse is... I I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, but I hear what you're saying. Because it's not a loss to UVA. It's not an ACC loss. Uh, But... You know it, it's sticking in a lot of fans' crawl that we can't beat ECU. And if we lose to them again at home, I mean, please. I think you will lose fans. I think you will – people will check out on this team. I think you might lose the fan base more than you think. A home loss – we only get so many home games a year. We don't like to see our team lose at home, and it's happened far too much over the last couple of years. We will have some breakdowns <laughs> against ECU. I know. I'm trying to move on. I'm trying to, trying to move on here. We'll have some breakdowns on defense in this game. That is without a doubt, and it will be frustrating. We just need to avoid the really big plays, and if we do that, I think we'll win. Let's move on to our picks in a minute. We need to do a beer break first. Robbie, what are you drinking over there? Right now, I have the Brewfree or Die IPA. It's pretty. It's from... 21st Amendment Brewery, which I believe is out of California. Yeah, San, uh, I'm going to butcher it. I'm so bad with this stuff. San Leonardo, I think. I'm pretty close on that one. It's good. It's a pretty popular beer around here. They have it at a lot of bars. I like it a lot. It's not too hoppy, kind of middle of the road, maybe a little bit more on the hoppier side. Mostly comes in cans anywhere that you can get it. And it's a go-to at a lot of the stores in Virginia. I like it. I'm having the Dead Ringer. It's an Oktoberfest from Ballast Point. We've had Ballast Point on so many times, and I love their beer. This one's a little bit different. I mean, it, it says it's a traditional uh, Marzen Lager, which is the typical flavor of an Oktoberfest or the style of an Oktoberfest, and it's good. Um, I wouldn't say it's as good. I would prefer a Sam Adams October, but I've obviously had that many more times. Six percent alcohol. I'm not sure what to say about this one. It, it's it's kind of a funny, it's kind of a funny Oktoberfest. Uh, maybe a little bit more on the uh, on the hoppy side for for what I'm used to for an Oktoberfest. But it's okay. It's called the Dead Ringer. It's from Ballast Point. All right. Well, let's hop in and give a quick shout out. We're gonna have another one down the road. We got. Some merch sent in from a listener, Brian Conti, who he had originally had a Kickstarter. He has a, a few Kickstarters associated with his company, which is Strong Like Bull Magnets. And the one that he sent us that he, he sent us thinking that we would like a lot is a magnet that goes in your fridge. And I saw this a while ago that you can hang it. You basically stick it on the top of your fridge and the magnets are so strong that it holds on to the bottle caps and it'll hang the beers in your fridge to save space on on the in your overall fridge so you can slide stuff underneath and those sorts of things. I'm excited to try it out. I've just been waiting. We just got them in recently. 
I've been waiting to get the kegerator up and running because I'm going to have my kegerator installed in my house and then I'm going to use that to hold the beers that I drink on the podcast and it's going to work out perfectly because my wife won't kill me for having beers in the upstairs fridge where we keep all the food. I'm excited to try them out. We're going to get back to you guys and let you know how it goes. But all the reviews, you can get it on Amazon. He's a Virginia Tech alumni. So if you want to support an entrepreneur that's been extremely successful, definitely go look out. It's called Bottle Loft, and it's done by Strong Strong Like Bull Magnets. So if you want to buy some Virginia Tech merch for a guy that's trying to be an entrepreneur, go out and check him out. It's a really, really cool concept. Thank you very much, Brian, for sending us over the bottle offs. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I I want to see how that works because it seems like a great space saver in your fridge. Let's hop into these picks, and we're going to start with ECU Virginia Tech. The last line I saw, and I get all my lines, uh, most of them through the Yahoo app, Um VT was a 12-point favorite against ECU, and we are at home. There is no way I'm taking Virginia Tech at 12 points against ECU. Give me ECU against that 12-point spread. The same here. I hope we destroy them. I pray that we destroy them, but I'm not willing to go against a 12-point spread in this game. Yeah, my score prediction is Tech 34, ECU 24, and I'm going to leave it there. Next game is Clemson against Georgia Tech. This is a Thursday night game. It's at Georgia Tech. Clemson is number five, and Clemson is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I like Georgia Tech in this one. Uh, they're 3-0, and and no, they haven't played very good competition. Something just is making me think Georgia Tech, and I wouldn't even be surprised if they've won with the way that Clemson struggled the first two games. They looked good last week against South Carolina State, you know, a really bad team, but it wouldn't surprise me to see some kind of crazy upset in this one. I have a bounce back thought here, and it's just that Watson's going to end up having, he said he was playing a little slow, a little, they were getting too much attention. They weren't playing the way that they should be. I think they turn on the after jets here and start to prove people to, in the polls or otherwise, that they're for real. So you're taking Clemson against the nine, uh, to cover the 9.5? Yes. All right, next game is Pitt at UNC. This is a big coastal matchup and one that I know you and I are very interested in. UNC is a 7-point favorite against Pitt, and Pitt's defense hasn't been looking so good recently. I'm going to take the points in a shootout. I'm going with Pitt against the seven-point spread. Robbie, what do you got? I'm going with Pitt as well. They've been able to put up points this year, which has been surprising to me. So I think they can do it again against UNC's defense that hasn't really turned the corner, even though they were supposed to this year. All right, we're going to get into some more of the top 25 matchups as there's not too many great ACC matchups. Next game is Wisconsin against Michigan State. Wisconsin is number 11. Michigan State is number 8. Michigan State is 5.5-point favorites coming off that really solid win against Notre Dame. I'm going to go with the Spartans. Even though Wisconsin upset LSU early in the year, they're on the road in this one. And Michigan State looked really impressive in those first few quarters against Notre Dame. I'm going with Michigan State. I'm going – I don't want to, but I'm going to go Wisconsin. 
probably solely based off of that LSU game, and I'm going to end up getting trounced. But I'm going to go with it. Next game is Georgia at Old Miss. Old Miss is number 23 after their loss against Alabama, in which they had a nice lead but blew it. And Georgia is actually number 12. Even though they haven't looked impressive at all the last two weeks, they beat UNC in week one. And Ole Miss is a seven-point favorite. I'm going with Ole Miss, even though they're favorite, even though coming off an emotional loss. I don't buy Georgia at all. So Ole Miss, I'm taking you to cover that seven points. Me as well. I Georgia, Kirby Smart, hasn't really impressed me, especially with the talent that he has in rubbing, running back. Chubb and that team should be able to run all over people. I think Ole Miss, after that Alabama game, is going to come out strong. Yeah, if anything, I think both of us think that Fedora is to blame for yet another early loss for UNC against Georgia. Next game is Arkansas at Texas A&M. Arkansas is number 17. Texas A&M is number 10. And Texas A&M has looked good so far. They are six-point favorites in this game. Despite that, I am going to go with the Arkansas Razorbacks. Something about Bielema in this game, I think they're going to out-tough A&M. And I'm going to take them. I'm going A&M. So I think we're at – Bielema always frightens me, especially since they already had kind of their big signature win. He always seems to have a letdown pretty soon after that. That's why I'm going Arkansas. I mean A&M, sorry. That's why you're going Yeah, we're, we're at odds on that one. I'm Arkansas, you're in A&M. And the last game is Florida at Tennessee. Florida is number 19. Tennessee is number 14. And this is basically the body bag game because there are so many players that are injured for this one. Florida is without starting quarterback Luke Del Rio. Tennessee is going to be without Cam Sutton and Darren Kirkland Jr. and another backup linebacker and probably three other guys that I don't even know about because everyone seems to be injured. And Tennessee has been playing like crap. But we still lost to them because we gave up five fumbles. Anyway, Tennessee is six and a half point favorites. Robbie, what do you got? I'm going bounce back again. Tennessee, this is a make-or-break game on so many levels. This is a huge, huge game. Florida's won I don't know how many in a row, but it's a big, big number. I think UT puts it together in what should be a depleted team on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I'm going to go with Florida just because those defensive injuries for Tennessee make me nervous. I know they're going to be starting Austin Appleby, who played against us last year when he was the quarterback of Purdue. He has, as French put it, every tool and no box. Uh, I like Florida only because I think this game will be close. I'm thinking 13-7 Tennessee, something like that. I'm rooting for Tennessee to win because they beat us, but it, you know I really don't know what's going to happen in this game because both teams are so unimpressive so far. That Florida defense is really, really good. Tennessee might not get more than seven points, but I'm still gonna I'm still gonna take. Uh, I still think Tennessee will win, but Florida will cover the six and a half point spread. All right, that's it for the podcast. I think we covered everything. Even me and Robbie being, you know, against each other a little bit there, a little bit, that, <laughs> a little bit of that one twenty minute in my in my blood over here. Make, you know, Robbie thinks maybe a loss to ECU is a teaching moment. I kind of disagree. We'll see. I'm looking for positives on what's going to be a 
a, a game you're that scared I hate. we're gonna lose and that's why you're like hedging your bet here i'm not i'm honestly not hedging my bet i spent oh i spent a lot of time thinking about this and what it means for the program as opposed to what it means for the season we came into the season everything has happened as planned as predicted for almost everybody that covers this team true that's my point ecu was one that people thought we might be challenged with I think it's the one loss on our schedule that we could afford. That's the reason. Do I want to see us lose the ECU? Hell no. Are you kidding me? I don't want to see that happen. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, it's at 2DVT. Always on Gmail, 2DVT at gmail.com. And make sure you subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. We've seen our listenership grow a lot over the last couple months, and when you want to see it to grow, see it grow even further. So tell your friends about us. Make sure you subscribe. If you want to write us a review, please do that as well. And until next week, when we are recapping a great win over ECU has beaten us two years in a row. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.